another edition of Whiskey, Web, and Whatnot with your hosts, Robert William Wagner and Charles William Carpenter III. You're welcome, Robbie. Indeed. Sorry, Chuck was saying funny things, trying to get me to laugh as we came into that episode, and it worked. Yep. Winner. This is Advent of Whiskey number eight. So it is probably December something right now, and you were listening to this. Hmm. Let's just jump right in, because we always have a ton of whiskeys to do. Yep. 17, Ireland. Product of Ireland. Aye. Proper Ireland whiskey. Let's see what we got here. <laughs> Number 17. Looks like it's called Writer's Tears. I'm crying now, usually most nights <laughs> this holiday season. Uh, it's an Irish whiskey by Walsh Whiskey. <laughs> Not telling us you're, what... You're going to have to stop. Okay. Oh my God. Sorry. There's no age statement here. It's blended Irish whiskey and bourbon barrels. Only an 80 proof. I think we complained about that somewhat recently. Given the amount of whiskey that we've had in recent days, I would say that we are thankful for the lack of proof in this one. Yes. I can say that an, a whiskey advent calendar seems like a great idea until you have to drink all of the whiskeys. Because it is time boxed, especially when you're doing as many episodes as we are and drinking them all in a short amount of time. It is just not as fun. Yeah. It's like a chore and it gets you drunk. <laughs> so, <laughs> turns out. So, I think I want to amend the name of this particular whiskey. It's called Writer's Tears. And in this case, it's called Code Writer's Tears. Hmm. Hmm. I get a little orange. What are you getting? Yeah, there's a lot of something fruity. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to say orange creme brulee. Yes. I was actually thinking something a little vanilla-y, creamy, sugary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely getting that. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I, I don't even know if that's a thing. Makes me want some of that. Yeah. Is that a thing? Have you ever had an orange creme brulee? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Had it in Italy, actually. Italia. Good are you. At Il Santo Bevatore. Mm, you made that up. No, that's a real place. Oh. It's in Florence. Il Santo Be Bevatore. Il Santo Bevatore. Okay. I've been to Firenze, so I know. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, not heard of that. Yeah, it was good. All my kids say, and they've been saying for months now, from when we were there last year, or earlier this year, is, uh, Voglio una caramella. I want a candy. Yeah. That's all he needs to know. Yep. Mm, so. It is nice that all the things you would want to order are like the same words that they just are as the foods because they all came from Italy. Hmm. Okay. So taste-wise, I still get a little of that orange. Very light. A little vanilla. So that's probably more around the creme brulee thing. But I'm not really getting the burnt or like... Yeah crusted sugar aspect of it more vanilla and then on the finish hmm, what do you think to me hold on one more sip to me it's very refreshing it's like a hmm. blood orange rosemary Ooh, rosemary there you go i was feeling a little herb like it's very light yeah 
I like it a lot. Blood orange. It's not what I was expecting from an Irish whiskey. Yeah, it's refreshing, but it actually lingers, actually. That's the other side of it. At 80 proof, mm -hmm. which has been my complaint for many of these, which just dissipate very quickly. This one hangs around, mm -hmm. which I like. So that is fun and interesting. What was this one called? Yeah, Writer's Tears, Coder's Tears. Makes sense. React Writer's Tears. React Writer's Tears. React is the future, but also the past depending upon if you have a DeLorean or not. Yeah, this is interesting. Yeah. So, Robbie, what do you think your rate is at? I was going to try to do an accent, but I don't, I can't do Irish very well. I mean, who's to say that I can do a proper Irish accent? I feel like I sound more like a leprechaun than I do an actual Irish person. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Chris Manson is actually Irish and he does not sound like yeah, that. Yeah, they're always after me, Lucky Charms. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. But anyway, I would give it a 7.18. Mm, yes. I think it's pretty good. I feel like the Irish whiskey that I would 100% reach for and say is delicious and constantly delivering is the Jameson 15. Okay. And that one has always impressed me. So how does this compare with that? I agree with you in that this doesn't replace that for me, but it's a pretty good, probably much lower price alternative. And so I would give it a solid seven. I don't know about these like whole, are we on like, uh, what was that? Like star search or whatever, where they were like three and a quarter stars. Like, what is that? Is it three? Is it four? We'll say seven. Then. Seven. I'm just indicating that like, I feel very good about it. It's not an eight. It's above average. Yeah, so we'll say seven. Whatever, I'll go seven and a half. I'll just refute everything I just said. <laughs> seven and a half. It's pretty tasty. Would recommend. Thank you. It just took us 17 whiskeys in to get one that we would recommend. No, actually the first, was it two? That was like the... Two and five? We had two really stellar like standouts in our first couple of episodes. Yeah. We had like number two was pretty good. And I think we had five that really blew us away too. Yeah. There was one that was like a rye and it was like a mm -hmm. vanilla Coke kind of flavor. And I feel like it was like redemption rye, but they made a bourbon. No, that was a bourbon. Yeah. So that was yeah. different. The one that was rye was the vanilla Coke one. All right. On to 18. In six minutes, and you just can't shut up about this. You love it that much. Oh, I got to rate it. All right. Yeah, rate it while I talk about the next one. Yeah, do it. Number 18 is a product of the USA, and it is Laws Whiskey House. And it is the Laws oh. San Luis Valley Straight Rye Whiskey. We've had this. Do we have this actual one? Yeah. Okay. We liked it, I think, but we'll find out. Yeah, it's the heirloom one. Heirloom grain? I thought we did their wheat or something. Anyway, I know we had laws before. We've done both. Okay. We had two the first laws is with Zurak. It was the rye. The second was... Uh, well, it takes a younger man. Thank you. Was that with uh, Mark Stedman? I'm not sure. Okay. Seven years, straight white rye whiskey, 47.5% alcohol. It's from Colorado. Let's see here. Is a beautiful grain-to-glass whiskey. They source sweet winter rye. Oh, yeah, this is definitely the one. Okay, well, I think we liked this. And it's seven years instead of, like, a four-year. Yeah, I think this one also was the one that had, like, their own limestone water or whatever. I don't know. I guess if it was, they'd probably say that in a description because people think that's cool. You're not seeing it, but I believe you. Okay. I like that we're doing another rye. Rye per episode, I feel like, is 
useful. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say it now. Rye is the new bourbon. And it's going to be on top for the next, like, five years. Rye is the new scotch, I say. How about that? I'm going to one-up you. Oh, that too, because scotch is hard to get these days. (laughs) This smells weird. I was going to say, it has a musty smell to me. Does it have a musty smell to you? I don't recall that from before. If it was like this before, I would not have liked it. So maybe this is different than the one we had. Yeah, it has a little must there. It has a fresh cut grass and a little must. I don't even want to drink it. Oh, come on. No, I'll try it. It doesn't smell like cabbage. Oh, that's weird. Okay. It tastes like pickle juice to me. Okay. Do you get that? No. This tastes like used frying grease to me. Yeah. Like if you fried something, deep fried something, and then somehow tasted that grease, the used grease, and if somebody doesn't like dry off like the things they fried enough, you'll sometimes get it. So deep fried pickles then. Maybe, which I like. But not this. Yeah, it smells like, yeah. It has a little corn to it, too. For a rye, it throws me off. So, like, that one's getting poured out. This was, there is no way this was the same one we tried because that one was good. Yeah, I feel like we liked it. So, I don't know if this is a batch issue or this is just somehow different than what we had before. But, yeah, I don't like it either. I don't dislike it as much as I disliked the cabbage Indian whiskey that we have. But I do dislike it. It's pretty low on the list for me. In Rise, I'm going to put it at a two. One. Yeah, I don't want this anymore. I'm actually going to rate the Indian one better than this. Oof. Which is rough because that gave us a real... I Yeah, I don't want... Anyone that's been listening, Laws makes good stuff. So this is a one-off. Something happened here. Mm. Like, don't not buy Laws because of this. They're good usually. Previous was good. This is weird. Okay. Well... Oh, I'm going to have to rinse this cup. Yeah, how are you going to do that? Oh, I got a little water left, so I'm going to do the same. Since there's no video, I'm going to give a little a little something. So he went over to, like, a wash sink that you wash, like, trash or dishes in. A utility sink. It gives it a nice bacteria. Whew. I'm going to finish the small smidge of number 17 that I have just to take that also out of my mouth. Yeah, so... <laughs> The first one of these episodes that we did, I was rinsing my cup between them with the togauchi, uh Japanese one we had mm. because it was very watery, if you remember. So I was like, oh, this is basically nothing. Let me just rinse it with that, like dump that. <laughs> wow. Okay. I can't wait to talk about this next one. Speaking of like, you've definitely given me a leader into Karayoshi from Japan. It is also another 80 proof. Karayoshi. Yep. And the about, the first line is, we call it the god of Japanese rice whiskey. Rice whiskey, let's be specific. Hmm. So it's sake. Sake that's been distilled. Sure. I'm guessing. Yeah, that would be a starter, probably. Yeah. Their first product was a sochu beverage. Then in 1989, they began to age their sochu beverage in oak casks, creating a rice-based whiskey. So I guess so. Cask aging, increased proofing is part of it. So yeah, Japanese rice whiskey. I don't get to know much about it. It starts as sochu and then gets aged in barrels. Yeah, this, it smells a tiny bit like soy sauce. Hmm. Like, okay. I don't know. I don't know how to compare it to soy sauce because it's not soy sauce, obviously. But like, I get some of that. Ooh, yeah. I actually do quite get that. 
like fermented a bit, perhaps. Yeah, a little bit of vinegary, kind of salty smell. Yeah, like some umami. Yeah, not in an unpleasant way. I feel like it's balanced, yeah. which is interesting. So, all right, look forward to tasting. Like maybe um, sautéed mushrooms. Hmm. Yeah, I get a little bit of mushroom meatiness in the flavor. Oh, it's definitely mushroomy. Yeah, yeah, very much. Interesting. Which I don't know that I want that in my whiskey, but that is one of my favorite flavors. Like mm. I'll just take a whole thing of portobello mushrooms and like do some soy sauce and stuff and just eat all of those. So good. Saute them down and yeah, mix them with some rice or udon noodle or something. Oh yeah, I like udon. Udon. The thicker the noodle, the better. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. The more egg, the better. That's the meat of the meal, pun intended. Huh. So it's interesting. It's earthy. Let's say that. It's earthy. Yeah, it tastes weirdly just like sautéed mushrooms. Yeah, weirdly. And it's not bad. Yeah, so it's not for me, but it's not bad, yeah. Right. It's a little interesting in that realm of things. So in terms of Japanese whiskey, this is much different. This is not scotchy at all. No, no. It's not smooth necessarily. It's not like rough, but it's earthy and then a little burny. And at 80 proof, that, I don't know, makes me wonder about, like, the barrels you're aging in. They're used, so it's not getting a smoothness out of the wood. Used for mushrooms. Uh, Maybe. (laughs) Psychedelics. So let's see uh, where the show goes in the next five minutes. I'm just going to give it a four. It's unique. Yeah. Interesting. I don't turn it away. I don't come back to it. It just kind of had its place. I'd rather have sochu. Yep. Not overly pleased. Four sounds fine with me as well. All right. Everyone's favorite thing, some holiday trivia. Boom, boom, boom. Let's see. What is the highest grossing Christmas movie? Die Hard. <laughs> no. Do you want to have another guess? Um, Christmas Story. No, that's better. Home Alone. Meh. It's okay. Yeah. They have an interesting Lego set. That's about it for me. Yeah, we have that one. Do you have it too? Did you send it to me? No. Do you not buy your own Legos? Nope. (laughs) Okay. I buy my own Legos for my kids. I don't buy my own personal Legos because I do find a lot of satisfaction in the completion of a Lego set. I then don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Same. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. We started like, if you get it, you disassemble it again and put it back in the box and like, it could be like a puzzle later. Like you just build it again. Yeah. I'm contemplating just passing it on to my son. My wife doesn't want me to do that because she's like, oh, that's a $300 Lego set. I'm like, right, but there's a lot of brown pieces he could use. (laughs) Doesn't matter to me. What are you going to do with it? You know? Yeah. And I have the instructions and I could seek out the pieces if I really want to go down that path again. So we are at a point where like he has so much Lego stuff that like we have three of those like rolling drawer Mm -hmm. plastic setups. And then we're just like, Oh, by color, we just start to separate and or hue, and he can get back in and create things or get his past instructions, find his parts, and recreate. Yeah, I think for me, I frequently didn't want instructions until I was a little bit older. Like by the time I was maybe 10 or 12 or something was when I was really into doing it the right way. Before then, I've made stuff that I thought was cool, 
that was really lame. Yeah. That, like, if you looked back at it. I remember making a lot of things like Star Wars ships and Star Wars space stations. And, oh, I had roadways and stuff, so I'd make up my own cars and stuff for the roadways. Like, things like that. And I think that, that spawns creativity. So I don't really care yeah. to keep the pieces together forever. And one day I'll probably just subvert my wife's wishes and... Just give him the big pieces, break it up, make something new. Yeah. That will make me happy. I think that's fine. Like the enjoyment for adults, in my opinion, is the process. So once it's done, Mm -hmm. the same as like a puzzle, you could disassemble it and you may never put it together again because you've already done it once. Yeah. So it's not the need to keep the physical thing. It's the activity. Yeah. I mean, it's the same reason why I don't currently own a closed bottle of Pappy. I don't care about trophies. Right. Like, yeah. Acquisition or whatever is not the process for me. Like I have, as you know, a Porsche one and an old Trafford one for Manchester United. People who know me know I like those things. I don't need to advertise it to them. Yeah. So it's fine. Yeah. I mean, I think it's similar to um, I think we talked about this previously. I forget what we talk about personally or actually being recorded, but like the guy who has like a $750,000 like car that he's been fixing up forever. And it like, Oh cool. Like you're fixing it up to drive it around and enjoy it. No, I'm fixing it up to park it in my garage and like dust it off occasionally. Yeah. Like what's the point? doesn't work for me. Yeah. (laughs) If I had, um, pardon the French, it's not a French word. It's actually a what, uh, Saxon word or something. Anyway, 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 if I had fuck you money, I would buy things that people have placed in museums and I would use them (laughs) aside from art, right? Like is a car art. I mean, I appreciate the design of it, but like it was designed to be used. Like it's like somebody hanging up a shirt saying like, this is the most beautiful shirt that blah, blah, blah designer ever designed. Yeah. Right. But they designed it for human bodies. Yeah. And I just feel very much about that way. Like the lines of art have been really obscured and I would buy like, let's buy the first Porsche off the assembly line and let's drive it for a hundred thousand miles because you know what? I fuck you money. I don't care what it's worth in the end. Right. What I care about is that experience for that period of time. Yeah. I mean, I think it for things like that, it depends on if you, actually want to keep it forever or if you're kind of you want to own it a little while and see it appreciate in value and sell it because that makes a difference but yeah yeah sure sure i'm a passenger on this journey and i want to have experiences in that journey and uh if i keep it perfect i'm just keeping it for someone else who becomes me one day that's what i feel like it's like i'm yeah Letting it pass on, pass on, pass on until some guy decides, actually, I'm taking a cross-country road trip in this car because I want to feel like what it was like a hundred years ago or something. Yeah, that's fair. Let's see. A couple more trivia. When was Christmas declared a national holiday? Mm, 1918. In the U.S., right? Yeah. Yeah, 1870. Yeah. Is that enough to be post-Civil War? I think so. I'm not a history buff. Yeah, I'm not either. But I want to say Civil War was like 1840. Hmm. Yeah, I was thinking a little later, but maybe. I'm not sure. 
And I was wondering if that was a tactic to sort of like bring things together. Let's see. Oh, 1861 to 1865. So it was shortly after that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there was a tactic to sort of like heal the nation. That's my thought. Yeah, that could be. I'm a political expert. I would take my advice for sure. <laughs> for pay. Alrighty, what else you got? How much money do Americans spend on average on holiday gifts per person? $400. Per person? Yeah. Not how much you spend, your egregious bullshit. This is an unclear question. Do they mean how much is the one gift for like another person? Or are they saying how much do I spend on gifts for everyone I get gifts for? You know what I mean? No, I think it's how much you spend for your wife, not per gift, but total. Okay. And how much you spend for your children, total. And how much you spend for your parents, total. And then that average. Because I think it's higher in some context. Okay. But it's average for everyone in America. So I'm going to say it's lower. I'm going to say 200. Okay. Let's see. I think people overspend, and that's why I'm going that way. Oh, $1,000 per person. Yeah. I think the question meant, like, how much do I, as one person, spend on gifts for everyone I'm buying gifts for? I don't think that's true. Per person. I thought you said per person. Yeah, but the per person is like me. Mm. Like, per people in the U.S. Okay. What does that single person spend on gifts for Christmas? Let's agree to disagree. Okay. Well, if it's per person you're buying for, $1,000 for every one of the people is high. So I take it as the average because I don't really believe in buying for adults that much. Most adults just buy what they want. And aside from like doing some sort of like draw of a hat and that's the person you buy for, like that kind of circumstance, and that ends up being like way lower. And I end up buying for my immediate family much higher. Right. So the average... Feels like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm buying 400 but hey, maybe that's me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I agree that definitely spending a lot on like the immediate family, but I don't know. It's unclear. You bought your wife a house, second house. <laughs> well, the problem is, like you had said, adults buy the stuff when they want it. Yeah. So like, Caitlin, like several times a year, will be like, this thing's expensive. Can this just be part of my Christmas present? And I'm like, sure. So like, yeah, if you include all of that, it's it's very high. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, let's see. Blah, 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 blah. One more. No, screw it. No more. Why is interviewing broken and should not yeah. include algorithms? I feel like this is close to home. So let's just talk about it. Yeah. The interview process at most companies is dumb. And that's putting it nicely. They want you to come in and do all these arbitrary things. Like all these people are going to watch you and you're going to have this prompt and you're going to code a solution for it. And you must do it in 30 minutes or less. And if you don't, and like, even if you do, even if you do it right, we're going to go, oh, you didn't spend enough time up front, like planning how you might implement it and like writing it out and talking to us about it. So like, that's wrong. Or then like, even if you did do that and then like got the right solution, it's like, oh, well, like this is not the optimal solution because there's this other way. And then like memorizing algorithms and what is perfect when or like making sure that 
within this tiny 30 minute time window, I have said the exact words you want to hear is not a good assessment of whether or not I am a good engineer or leader or whatever you may be interviewing me for. So it's like, why do we do this to developers? Why don't we have something that's more real world where we could kind of either work on real problems like, all right, I need to build this feature for this web page. So like, let's just talk it out and work through that together or some kind of take home thing, which I know people hate that too, because it's like, Oh, I got to take time out of my time to do it. But it is more correct then like, Mm -hmm. you know, one developer might know off the top of his head how to do a thing. Whereas another one might be like, Oh, well, I'm going to spend eight hours researching it and trying to get the optimal thing and whatever. And it's not apples to apples. So it's like that then gives you the time to work in your work style and make sure you get to the result you are happy with. Well, I think the paradigm is pretty challenging to look at across the board anyway, because if you look at like many other skilled workplaces, right? Like you're not, Oh, well, I'm a mason and I'm looking for a new job to build walls with bricks. And they're like, great. So build us a couple of walls with bricks and talk us through how you do that. So I often wonder if we're just missing some kind of like, I don't know, basic skill assessment thing at a different level outside of company specific paradigms that could just say like, okay, you know how to do these code things. Cause you've, Oh, here you are. You're in, um, you're a part of a react group and you've shown that you can do the things there and that's what we need. So we'll just take you out of there because you've already proven yourself not specific to us and are like really arbitrary, probably very flawed, very much made up, like hiring process. And that's the thing I can say because I've conversely been on the other side of things and we're just fucking making it up and figuring it out and refining it to say, well, this is what we think works for us. Yeah. But we're not saying what we think works for this job description that exists across all of this work experience. You're a JavaScript developer. You're a React developer. You're a whatever those paradigms are completely made up in every single company. And then they start to just really embrace that and dig in and they say, well, we pay you enough money, so you have to do it. Yeah, I think for me, the thing that made the most sense, I was talking to Eric Brin many years ago and he was looking to hire some people and basically his criteria was like, I shouldn't have to interview you at all. Like the interview process should be Prove to me that you are you Mm -hmm. and you're done. Because like if you've been doing it right, you do have that like, oh, I worked at X company for a few years and they do the technology you want me to do. Or like, you know, here's my open source work. You can see it all in the in the wild. Like if you can just prove like jump on a call and be like, look, you see, it's me. I exist. Let's proceed should kind of be the the thing like it doesn't work for everyone especially newer developers who maybe haven't had a long job history or or whatever but at a certain point especially for like senior staff or like managers or people that theoretically have been in the field for 10 years or more it's kind of like 
well, why do I need to prove myself if like I clearly wasn't fired like a million times and whatever and have been successful at these other companies, then what's the point of you being like, oh, well, I need to make sure you do this algorithm correct within this 30 minutes, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. Like trying to basically across the board ubiquitously test what you think are fundamentals in your context doesn't necessarily like translate to all job functions. So, yeah. So, I mean, we don't have a great solution here. It's just uh, more of the things you're accustomed to where I rant about everything because I want to. But, um, yeah, (laughs) I think it's a continued conversation. Yeah. Like if anyone is working in this space on any kind of things that are maybe a standardized assessment for web developers or like that's the thing we're missing in this space is like if you're an electrical engineer you go get your like professional engineering license take this grueling test that says like i can do these things there should be something similar for web developers and it's just like oh if you've got that i don't need to put you through six rounds of algorithms i just need to go like oh you've got that great it's nice to meet you yeah you work nice with people Let's go. Yeah. Here's a bag of cash. (laughs) All right. We're done here. This is uh, the eighth, eighth one. We'll see you tomorrow for the ninth one. We got one more after that. And we're almost done with this whiskey finally, which I am excited about. So we will see you then. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating and maybe a review as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.